This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So we started in chapter 2, but the, uh, the, the reference uh, break or, or chapter break that it makes between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is in the middle of a thought. So let's back up a little bit and remind you of the prayer that Paul prayed. In uh, verse 16, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, your spirit man, literally, being enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, we've said this before, but it bears repeating. Paul didn't pray that God would give them something they don't already have. He prays that our eyes would be open to see what we do have. That the eyes of our understanding being enlightened or opened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, number one. Number two, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what already belongs to us because of Jesus' sacrifice. And then third, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And then he's going to describe what that power is which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above, not a little bit above, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He's the head of the church and all these things are under the feet of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now chapter 2 is not a break. He's continuing to talk along the same line. And he says, and you. Now what is the and you connect to? He's talking about the same power that was displayed in Jesus was displayed in and for you. And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now these first three verses are important because it tells us that God's power was displayed to us, but here's how God found us. First of all, he found us dead in trespasses and sins. These word trespasses and sins are two different words. The word trespass in the Greek is literally the word blunder. It means an unknown sin. Well, what sin do you commit that you don't know about? I don't know about you, but I've always been there. When I sinned, I always know what I'm doing. What does he mean unknown sins? He's talking about sins that you weren't, that you didn't participate in specifically or personally. He's talking about Adam's sin. But then the other word sins are sins that you know that you're doing. Personal sins. So it says, first and foremost, our condition, when God displayed his power in us and toward us, for us, it says God found us not only dead in Adam's sin, but dead in our own personal sins. See, it's easy to sit back and take a kind of a haughty attitude or a proud look and say, well, Adam messed us up for all of us. Well, bless your darling heart, you and I would have messed it up if we'd been there. And that's the whole point. It's not just Adam's sin. Adam's was the original sin. But we're guilty of the same thing as Adam's original sin if he had never committed it. Because we've got sins of our own to answer for. That's why no man can stand before the Lord and claim justification. 
because we're dead without Jesus. We're dead in Adam's sin and personal sins. And then secondly, here's the second condition that he found us in. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In other words, he's saying not only did God find us dead in Adam's sin, dead in our own personal sins, but under the influence of the devil. Thirdly, verse 3, it says, among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The third condition he found is, not only were we trapped in trespasses and sins, Adam's sins, personal sins, under the influence of the devil, but thirdly, we were trapped or held in bondage by what our minds and our bodies wanted to do. By what our minds and our bodies wanted to do. Now, before I get, I want to come back to something in this verse in just a second. But notice it says in verse 4, but God. This is the, the, the condition that God found us in. But God. Now, folks, if, if you're not too religious to write in your Bible, you need to circle those two words. But God. But God. You know, I think in this world that we live in, we, we are guilty of sanitizing things, at least in our own thinking. Spiritual death is considered, well, that's just, that just means people are lost. Well, what does that mean? Think of it like this. You ever seen a dead body? Well, that's the picture of God looking at us. That's how God found us. Now, when I say dead body, you're probably thinking about a body in an open casket. That's not what I mean by dead body. Think of it as a body that's been dead for a couple of weeks. You know, after three days, Martha, the brother of La- the sister of Lazarus, was complaining about Jesus' command to roll the stone away. He's been dead for four days. He stinks by now. Well, dead bodies stink. They decay. Think of a rotting dead corpse. That's a picture of spiritual death. Or as close as one as we're ever going to find. So here's a rotting dead corpse. That's you. That's me. That's how God found us. And not only that, but he found us under the influence of the devil. That rotting dead corpse. Now we have to get into zombie town. That rotting dead corpse being influenced by the devil. Walking around through life influenced by the devil. No possible good could come from anything that we did. And thirdly, we're bound by our own minds, our own desires of the flesh. In other words, it's the, the, the result, the consequence of spiritual death and the influence of the devil that's controlling our own actions. If being controlled by the devil is not enough, we're being controlled by the devil's influence and the devil's curse, the curse of sin within ourselves. That's the condition that God found us. And notice what it said that God did. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. He's rich in mercy. Now, this word rich is interesting. It's the Greek word. uh, uh, It's a Greek word. I almost made a fool of myself, a bigger fool of myself. But it comes from the word that we, uh, the P-L-U-T-O. We know of the word Pluto as a planet. We use the word Pluto as a, as a plutocrat 
It literally means filthy rich. Overwhelmingly, exceedingly rich. A plutocrat is somebody that's rich enough to have influence over everybody else. Or at least others. And that's what this means. It means God was filthy rich in mercy. Filthy rich in mercy. Overabundant. Superlative. Rich in mercy. Now what is mercy? Mercy is grace in action. Grace is God's favor toward us. Grace is God's uh, willingness to do good for us. But mercy is grace in action. Think of it like this. Uh, God gives every believer the measure of faith. Faith is the means of receiving God's grace. It's the only method. It's the only way that the Bible says that we receive from God's grace. But unless faith is put in action, it does you no good. Even though God gives you the measure of faith and you have the opportunity to build and develop and strengthen your faith, that can only come from being put in action. In other words, believing is faith in action. Believing is the way that you receive God's grace. Well, God's grace is is great. It's wonderful. It's wonderful that God's willing to do great things for us. He wants to do super abundantly above everything that we could ask or think. But unless he moves toward us in mercy, then that grace can't be realized. It works the same way for us. It's God's grace in action. It's God's goodness in action. It's God's favor in action. It's God's willingness to bless us in action. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now again, we're the dead corpse. Stumbling around through life, influenced by the devil and bound by our own thoughts and desires. And that's how God found us. But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us. Now I want to back up a little bit to verse 3. Because here it says, um, well let me read verse 3 again. I want to get to the last couple of words. But among whom we also had our conversation in times past. This is what we were like before we were saved. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, notice this phrase, and were by nature, and were by nature, not by choice, but by nature. In other words, this was because of our spiritual condition. This is because we were spiritually dead. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, what does this mean, children of wrath? Does that mean God's mad at you when you're here? Does God is mad at the unsaved here on the earth? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means there comes a time where the wrath of God is poured out. And those who are apart from Jesus, those that are spiritually dead, have rejected 
Jesus as Lord and Savior of their own lives, then that wrath of God will become due unto them. Or maybe a better way to say it would be they are due the wrath of God. Now, it's interesting, this, this word wrath is interesting because of the way that the Holy Spirit uses it. For example, um, we think of wrath as just anger, and, and many times this word is translated anger, but the times that it's translated wrath specifically are interesting. Because in Luke chapter 21, for example, I think it's Luke 21, 23, Jesus is talking about the tribulation. And he identifies that period of time as the wrath of God. He talks about when uh, the earth is full of distress and the wrath of God. Paul, in writing to the church, says that the church, and, and the context he's talking about is the, the day of the Lord. He's talking about the, uh, uh, the end times. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about the end times more than anybody else. He spent three or four months there in Thessalonica and then writes back to them in two different letters and says, remember the things that I taught you. Paul spent a lot of time in those three or four months that he was in Thessalonica talking to them about the end times, talking to them about the rapture, talking to them about Jesus' return, talking to them about some of the very same things he referred to in chapter 1, the redemption of our bodies. So he's not out of context here when he uses the word wrath. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, I believe it is, Paul said, we, the children of God, are not appointed unto wrath. We're not appointed unto wrath. Now, Paul had to deal with some um, different issues regarding the return of Jesus. But remember, Paul wrote before the revelation was ever given to, uh, to John on the Isle of Patmos. He said the day, meaning that day, the day of the Antichrist, the day of the tribulation, can't come until that which is holding him back is gone. Now, there's controversy in the body of Christ about what that is that's holding the Antichrist back. Some people will say, well, it's the Holy Ghost. Well, I would ask you this. Since during the tribulation, the Bible says that certain people will get saved, mostly the Jews, but there will be a number of people, even a mixed multitude, that get saved during that tribulation period of time. If the Holy Ghost is not here, how do they get saved? I thought the Holy Ghost was the agent whereby salvation came. I thought Jesus said, no man could come to me except my, my Father, meaning the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit draws him. How's that work? Holy Spirit can't be gone from the earth. Well, if the Holy Spirit is not what's holding the Antichrist back, then what is it? Folks, it's the Holy Spirit in us. It's the church. That's what's holding the Antichrist back, even though the spirit of Antichrist is working in the earth. But it's the church that's holding it back. So once the church is gone, then the devil has free reign. Now stop and think about that. And again, take a big picture view. I, I, personally, I think the book of Ephesians should be read twice. It needs to be read the first time from a personal standpoint. You need to, have seen, you need to see yourself personally in the condition that Paul describes. Before we uh, found Jesus, accepted Jesus as our Savior, God found us in a dead state, a rotting zombie corpse state. But God was rich in mercy toward us because he loved us. Ordained from the foundation of the world that we would be delivered from that condition. So I think it needs to be read from a personal point of view. But then secondly, I think it needs to be read from a, 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 an overall picture point of view, the way that Paul intended to write it for the church. In other words, what I mean by that is there are things that you can step back and study beyond just what God did for you personally. 
And I think this is one of those things. Because Paul is talking about the power that's in the church. He prayed that their eyes would be open to see and understand, to realize the exceeding greatness of the power of God that works in us as believers. Well, most of the church that, 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 that I see doesn't look too powerful. But folks, here's the point. As little power as we may see in the church worldwide, the power of God is so exceeding great. And remember I talked to you about in the, the verses that Paul used to describe it. He uses four different Greek words for power, four different kinds of power that were displayed in the resurrection of Jesus and works in us now as believers. That power is so much greater than anything and everything the devil can do. The church in an ignorant state, in an inert condition, with very little knowledge of our authority, with very little activity to exercise that authority, is still enough to hold the devil at bay. What could we do if our eyes were opened? You remember the story of Daniel. Daniel saw in the word that it was time for Israel to be delivered from bondage, the bondage of the Babylonians. And so he prayed, started praying, and he didn't give up. He prayed and he fasted for 21 days. Well, finally the angel shows up, and the angel says, from the first day which you, when you prayed or first day that you set your heart to seek the Lord about this, I was sent from heaven. Well, now, folks, if heaven is 21 days away, then heaven must be a long, long distance. No, that's not it. Angels can get from heaven to earth instantly. Well, what held him at bay for 21 days? The angel said that it was the, was the devil's forces. This prince of the power of the air, this ruler of the darkness, of spiritual wickedness in high places and so forth, was what this angel had to push through. And it took 21 days because there was only one man, but one man exercising his authority was able to push the devil back, even though his answer was delayed for 21 days. God sent the answer instantly. The devil delayed it for 21 days. If one man can do that, what would the church be able to do if we were operating in our authority and the knowledge of, of what we have? Now, folks, that's what God has intended for us. Do you realize what a different world this would be if Paul's prayer in chapter 1 came to reality in the lives of believers worldwide? That's the point Paul's trying to make. Church wasn't operating in its authority in Paul's day any more than it, than it is in ours. But that doesn't mean the power's not there. That doesn't mean the authority's not available to us. So at one time we were the children of wrath, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. Now this refers back to verse 1. Help the translators to be able to translate it. You may notice in verse 1 the words hath he quickened are in italics, which means the translators added those. So when the translators got the original text, they just got, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, and you what? It, they knew that it referred back to the prayer that Paul prayed in chapter 1, what we know of as chapter 1. But what does the and you refer to? 
Well, verse 5 tells you. It says, and you were quickened. And you were quickened. You were made alive. Now, Paul departs from, um, from his normal pattern here in, in other letters. For example, in Romans, he talks about how that we died with Christ and were raised together with him. Paul's not talking about dying with Christ. He's talking about being dead in trespasses and sins. Baptism is a picture of the death of the old man and the resurrection of the new man being raised into new life in Christ Jesus. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about God found us in a dead condition. Now, Jesus' death signified ours. It it counted for ours. But we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, here's the question. And I, I know people don't stop and think about these things much, but I want you to for a little bit. And that is this. When God saw that man died spiritually, he was watching in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned. And spiritual death overtook man just like God said that it would. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, he didn't die physically, but he did die. So how did he die? He meaning Adam. How did Adam die that day? He died spiritually. In other words, he became dead in trespasses and sins. Just like we were but without Jesus. So God knew and God planned from before the foundations of the world, before Adam and Eve were ever created, before the earth was ever created, before the universe was ever made, however long ago that was. God had planned for a redeemer. Well, he knew that his plan would include the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. He told us that in the Old Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So somebody had to shed their blood. Well, who else is there? besides God and man. That's all that existed. An angel can't do it. An angel is not made in the image of the likeness of God. Only man was. So who's going to die for man? God can't die. How would you kill God if he, if he was able to die? Who can kill God? How can God die? And there's nobody except God and man. So God can't make the sacrifice for man. So what happens? He had to send Jesus to become a man. Folks, that's why, and it's a, it's, it's, with some it seems to be a minor point, but it's a huge issue. Jesus on the earth called himself the Son of Man over 65 times in the Gospels. He called himself the Son of God three to, or five times. Three of those are in the same setting. Jesus did not identify as the Son of God. Now, he did identify as God as his Father. But he didn't identify as the son of God. He did identify consistently, constantly as the son of man. Why is that important? Because only man can sacrifice himself for another man. Jesus didn't die as God. Jesus died as a man. That's why he had to lay down his life. He died as a man. He sacrificed his blood as the offering, the eternal offering and sacrifice man because this is the condition this spiritual death condition dead in trespasses and sins walking according to the influence of the devil and the bondage of our mind and our flesh he's he's telling us very specifically this is what jesus had to die for and only a man can die for man god couldn't do it now don't get me wrong i'm not saying jesus wasn't god he was all god and he was all man But he did, the Bible says, very specifically, lay aside his heavenly power and glory to become a man. 
So he gave something up to lower himself to become a man here on the earth. That was God's riches in glory because he loved us. The riches of his mercy because he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, God has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. What did he do? He made us alive in him. Why? Because, Because Jesus sacrificed himself, offered himself as a substitute for the trespasses and sins, both Adam's sin and your personal sins. So he quickened us together. He made us alive together with Jesus. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. If God quickened us together with Christ, how were you quickened? Were you quickened physically? Did you experience a physical resurrection or a spiritual rebirth? A spiritual rebirth or a physical rebirth? Not resurrection. But which way were you born again? Which way were you made alive? In spirit or in body? Well, certainly in spirit. Well, then how was Jesus made alive? Had to be in spirit if he's a substitute for us. If we were quickened together, if we were made alive with his rebirth, then he had to be reborn spiritually. That means he had to die spiritually first. Now, again, I know this is a controversial issue with a lot of the church, but it's not possible for it to be any other way. If you experienced a spiritual rebirth, if you were quickened together with Jesus, that means Jesus had to be dead dead spiritually and then be born again. And that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn. Well, what? In what way? See, a lot of the church wants to say that just means God raised him from the dead. Well, yeah, but what do you mean by that? They like to say that means God raised him from physical death. Well, if, the, if so, if Jesus was just raised from the dead physically, then physical resurrection or physical rebirth is the only thing that belongs to you. Your spiritual nature wasn't changed because Jesus had to pay the price for you. So if you experienced a spiritual rebirth, then that means Jesus had to be quickened in the same way or made alive in the same way. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Jesus had to die spiritually. Now, how can God die? There's only one way. First, he has to become a man, and secondly, he has to lay down his life. That's the only possible way, which is exactly what the Bible says about Jesus. So even you were quickened together, even when we were dead in sins, as he quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved. Verse 6, and has raised us up together. Remember, that's what that power in uh, chapter 1 was, uh, the display of power in chapter 1 was talking about doing. It raised Jesus up. Well, it raised you up at the same time. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. One translation says, that means a new species of being. God put his spirit inside of you and made you a new person. You're not the person you may see yourself to be. Learn to look at yourself through the lens of God's word and walk according to what he says about you. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. He sees you as the light. He sees you as the life, his life. He sees you as his power operating in the earth. 
And you may see the earth as the big snarling dog that's bearing down on you. But God sees you as the living thing among the dead. That's what God sees in us now. That's how he sees you. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.